Morning, church. Morning. So before we start, uh, I've got 40 minutes, so I've got to start. Um, before we start, I just want us to, um, to go through a couple of scriptures this year. Um, I feel that um, God, you know, has placed it in my heart to, to really have a word-based mind this year. Word-based thinking system or word-based thoughts. So I've put together a couple of scriptures um, just to help us. You know, um, I, I don't believe that God gives us some of the things he gives us for ourselves, but other things he gives us to share. So I believe that this was placed in my heart to share with you guys because I really think it will help us this year to have a word-based sort of mind. So we're going we're gonna to have six scriptures. Uh, we're going to do three, three, no, 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 yeah, three commandments and three promises. So we're going to go... Promise, command, promise, command, promise, command. You know, we, we, we like to keep things balanced. So we, we're going to do a promise and a command just so that we, we keep ourselves balanced. Okay, so the first one that I want us to... Uh, so try to, to memorize these scriptures in your own time as well. Um, I'll keep reiterating them uh, whenever I get a chance to, to preach. But yeah, let's, let's start. The first one is Romans 6.14. I'm going to read it out. And then I'm going to ask us to, to read it out as a church. So just try and follow with me. Okay, anyway. Um, do, we, do we have it up there, um, fellas? Okay, doesn't matter. Romans 6.14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And also go and research these scriptures for yourself. Um, and then... We can just say it together, but then change the, the use to me's and say it for yourself. So, let's, let's go. For sin shall not be master over me, for I am not under the law, but under grace. Okay, the second one is a commandment. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 to 37. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, brothers and sisters, I really believe that this is probably the most, um, com the, 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 the command that people don't necessarily take seriously. So let's, let's, let's be different in this church and let's strive to obey every single command that, that is given in the New Testament. Um, so let's watch our words. Let's, let's watch our words because they are the, because remember, the, the, the stuff that's in your heart comes out of your words. Therefore, Jesus says, they'll either justify you or they'll condemn you. So don't think you're going <laughs> you know, to bypass this verse somehow. So that's why I wanted us to, to, to really take this one seriously. Okay, we're going to move on to the third one, the promise. Hebrews 13, verse 6. And what I like about these is that if we have a word-based mind, we can always bring these up whenever we, we confront a certain situation. So Hebrews 13, verse 6 is one of my favorites. It says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So especially, guys, you know, you've heard this, this holidays. A lot of things happen to people that we know. Uh, things that are quite terrifying. But don't let the spirit of fear get into you. You know, um, This is something that I quote whenever I'm driving alone at night at a, at a traffic light. You know, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And what will man do to me? Always quote that over yourself. Don't think, oh, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. Have a word-based mind. Just say that word to yourself. And you can paraphrase it. It doesn't have to be... And then the fourth one is a commandment, Matthew 9, 29. It's a commandment. Actually, more like a, let's say a law. Not a commandment, but a law. It says, um, then, then he touched their eyes, saying, according, this is what I want us to, to grasp, according to your faith, be it unto you. So according to your faith, be it unto you. I think that's a spiritual law more than a commandment. 
according to your faith, be it unto you. So if you if you believe that the Lord will be your helper, and what can man will do what will man do to you? If you believe that sin shall not be master over you because you are under grace and not under law, then according to your faith, be it done unto you. The next one is a commandment. Matthew 9, verse 23. Uh, sorry, a promise. Sorry, Mark 9. Sorry, sorry, Isha. Mark 9, verse 23. Mark 9, verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, as in a question, all things, this is what I want us to grasp, all things are possible to him who believes. So all things are possible to him who believes. And the last one, there's a commandment, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And I think especially for us that, are, that work in crazy corporations and crazy work situations or just crazy family setups, this one is definitely for you. You know, we, we, it's very difficult to know the will of God, but at least here we have something to, as a starting base. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. Other translation says, in every circumstance, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you know you're in Christ Jesus, then yes, that difficult boss is God's will for you. Yes. That difficult company, that difficult grandmother is God's will for you. If you're in Christ Jesus. Why? Because things work together for good. For your good. All right, let's start. Okay, my title of my message today is called Getting Those Things That Christ Came to Get Me For. Getting Those Things That Christ Came to Get Me For. So the reason why I chose to do this is because Pastor Paul called me and said, um, so please can you preach on the first Sunday and preach a message of encouragement for 2020. You know, encourage the, 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 the brothers and sisters so that they may go out there and do wonderful and great things in the name of Jesus. So guys, I really believe that this message is a message of encouragement. Um, please take it as it is. So I believe that there are things, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Christ, us laying hold of things that Christ laid us hold of for. And I believe that Christ came to give us those things, whereas before they were probably physical in the Old Testament. But I believe that in the New Testament, those things are mostly spiritual because everything starts in the spiritual realm and trickles down into our world. And when I say... Um, in the, like, for instance, if, 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 if you think about it, um, like in, in Romans chapter 1, I think, um, it talks about those things that are invisible um, were made visible uh, when it talks about creation. Is that those things that are invisible were made visible in order to prove that God exists. So everything, whenever you see a tree or whenever you see a cloud, you know, there's probably a spiritual tree <laughs> or a spiritual cloud. It's just that now it's manifesting because God has made it manifest because it was in his mind and he created it. So we must always um, love the spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I'm not necessarily talking about like church and things like that, but I'm talking um, things of the spirit, you know, heaven and those things that are intangible, things that you can't really touch, but you see them coming out in, in life. So I'm going to start off with Ephesians um, verse 1. I'm sorry. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So I believe that this scripture directly speaks to us, especially in the New Covenant. Whereas in the Old Covenant, um, if you look at Deuteronomy 28, that's a very famous chapter, that 
pretty much every Christian knows. But do we know that Deuteronomy 28 is actually juxtaposed to Ephesians 1 verse 3? If you look at Deuteronomy 28, it talks about physical blessings. It talks about how you're not the tail and, you know, it talks about all that good stuff, you know, that God promised the children of Israel, you know. But if we look in the, in the New Testament, it looks like Jesus doesn't even mention you'll be blessed with 20 cars and 30 mansions if we're looking at it in today's timeline, you know. Um, most of the things that Jesus and the Holy Spirit say in the New Testament are those things that are spiritual, things that you cannot touch that we're going to be blessed with, especially in Ephesians 1 um, verse 3. And I believe that that's something that we should all aspire to, is to reach that level where we can look at the physical blessings as just a bonus. But our goal and aim needs to be that spiritual blessing. These are the things that transform. These are the things that transform us into being like Christ. These are the things that Jesus came to give us. That's why the title of the message is getting those things that Christ came to get me for. Because you know that when Christ first came on the scene, you see, even he's saying amen. <laughs> you see, when, when Christ first came on the scene, the first thing he preached, the first thing Jesus preached to a people that knew him, by the way, people that knew God, the first thing he preached was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the first thing he preached to them. For me, that shows that, you know, at the time, Israel was preoccupied with the physical blessings of life. Israel, that's why maybe the Pharisees could not receive Jesus, is because as far as they're concerned, if you are blessed, then you've got big pockets. If you are blessed, then you have lots of children. If you are blessed, in today's terms, you have cars, big bank accounts. That's why they couldn't receive Jesus because Jesus didn't speak about giving people big, big bank accounts. You know, matter of fact, in the other parable that he gave, he called the rich man a fool because today his soul was required of him and therefore said that we must be rich towards God. And I like the fact that he, th this encourages us to have a sort of a balance, a balance between the physical and the spiritual. And whenever I... I talk about gaining spiritual things at the expense of the physical. It does not mean that God doesn't care about the physical in terms of our well-being and our needs. Because in um, Matthew 6, um, 33, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the Lord took the physical stuff seriously as well, because he knew that we are on earth, we need to be sustained, but only our needs will be added. So you might see another family with three cars. That's because they need three cars. You might only need one or two cars. So don't get too caught up in trying to keep up with the Joneses. Because the Joneses might need four bedrooms and three bathrooms. You know, you might not need three bedrooms and two bathrooms. You might need one. You know, and anything else, just let it be a bonus. You know what I mean? Let's not make the, let's not make the dessert the main meal. Because all the other stuff is just dessert. And there's nothing wrong with having 20 cars. <laughs> That's between you and the Lord. And I say this because people, especially in, in our faith, let's say you admit you're a billionaire. If you gave 10 million bucks to a family or whatever, or to the church, do you know that people will not be satisfied? They'll say, well, why didn't why you give 15? You see what I'm saying? So richness is, is, is relative. So we must never look at other people and see what they have and think that it's for us. Everything is based on a need. The more your family grows, the more your money will grow. You know, it's, it's, it's just that way. It's based on a need basis. And also another verse that encourages me to see that God will take care of my physical well-being is in Psalms 37 verse 25. And we, oh, by the way, the version is NASB for those that, Want to look up the scriptures afterwards? Psalm 37, verse 25. This is David saying, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. Sorry, Nana. So this, this scripture really encourages me to know that even when I'm gone, my children's children 
will not be forsaken and they will not be begging on the streets for bread. God will make sure that they get a good education so that they can get a good job and um, things will work themselves out. Now, guys, going back to the contrast that I'm trying to, 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 to picture here is that we got to look at the old, old covenant and the blessings that were very physical, right? And also in the old covenant, if you look at it, the works of darkness were also physical. This is why Israel, you know, walked around the, de the desert for 40 years, but I'll go into that. Now, God promised in the old covenant, God promised Israel great wealth, great health, um, a lot of offspring, um, if they obeyed God. But that also came with curses as well, if they didn't obey God. So God promised them a lot of physical stuff if they obey, obey God. And I believe that God did this so that he can show himself to the rest of the nations around Israel, basically all the Gentile nations around in the world. I believe that God did um, used prosperity because um, the, 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 the nations around Israel um, did, did not necessarily know God the way Israel knew God. And the way those nations actually got their wealth um, is that they believed in sacrificing to other gods and doing sort of like um, evil sacrifices, like human sacrifices. They would literally sacrifice their babies and things like that. Um, they would engage in sexual immorality um, and bad behavior in order to gain wealth. And I think God, using the law, the righteousness of the Lord with Israel, was trying to show the nations around the world that you can have prosperity without doing all this weird stuff and all this evil stuff. You can have prosperity just by believing in me and my righteousness. So I think that God was using Israel. That's one of the reasons, there's many reasons why I use Israel. But for this particular message, I think that the, the, the money and the blessings were mostly used so that God can show the nations that you do not have to be basically um, defiled defiled practices in order to, 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 to gain wealth. And also in the old covenant, the works of the devil were also physical. Um, in the old covenant, there were physical giants. Israel had to go into the promised land and fight actual physical giants. But now in the New Testament, there are spiritual giants, things that we have to conquer within us. There's nothing to conquer outside. There's only things that we need to conquer within us. And then we automatically conquer those things that are outside. In the Old Testament, there was the promised land. In the New Testament, it's a land of promises. So those are the contrasts between the old and the new that I want us to specifically look at. And then if we look at um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, which works are these? You know, um, whenever I used to read this, this verse, I used to think, you know, it's talking about sickness, poverty, disease, and all those things, which is true as well. God also came to destroy those things. But I also realized that I was actually reading that scripture out of context. Because in the beginning, it actually tells you what he's talking about. He says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Because the devil has sinned from the beginning. And therefore, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Which means Christ came to destroy sin. It's the same thing that the angel told Mary. Is that Jesus will save the people from their sins. And, you know, I like to use analogies. When somebody saves you from something, right? Let's say... Um, I was crossing the street, and a car almost hit me. If somebody saves me from that car, they have actually removed me from getting hit by that car. So that doesn't mean that the car keeps hitting me over and over and over again, and I keep getting saved, keep getting taken to the hospital every single time the car hits me. But my goal is to be saved from the thing that keeps hitting me, so that it doesn't keep hitting. So that's what I believe it means when it says, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And I match it up to the scripture in Luke where it says that he has come here to save the people from their sins. Is that God wants us to live an overcoming life. A life where we leave certain things behind. And a life where our light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. 
Now, obviously, I don't believe that God expects a five-year-old to know the things that a 13-year-old knows. I believe that you are judged according to what you know because the Bible does say that um, to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, and it does say that the servant that knows what he was supposed to do but didn't do it will get more lashings than the servant that didn't know and didn't do. So you are actually commanded and actually encouraged to strive to be saved from sin because that's exactly what Jesus came to destroy. Now, we spoke about things that are spiritual. Um, one thing that I want to use in this example is racism. Now, racism is a spiritual thing. It's intangible. You can't touch it, right? But the world is, especially South Africa, is just turning their heads, trying to fight racism. Like, yeah, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's do that. And South Africa tried in 94, and it looked like racism um, had been sort of dealt with. Um, but if you look today, um, people of the same race hate each other. Like, black people within, you know, the black culture, some of them don't like each other. Why? Because they come from different cultures. Zulu people might have a problem with Kosa people. Uh, you know, Bedi people have a problem with Sutu people. And also another thing that has come in a form of prejudice is that people from different incomes hate people of, like, a different income. So if you have a lower income, you might hate someone of a higher income. So racism is actually an outward expression of the spirit of hate, which is not in the heavenly places that was promised to us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And I believe that race, um, I believe that hate for a race or hate for a culture or for a nation, you know, like maybe let's say South Africans um, hating people that come from other countries. You guys have seen last year um, the horrific images and things that were done to, to, to people of other nations. And I believe that this, this comes from the principalities and powers that were described in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I'm just going to skip that verse because everyone knows it. I believe that these forces, you know, according to my research, these forces, these spiritual uh, powers and principalities were assigned to the people groups, jurisdictions, regions, and nations, or continents. Whichever one you belong to, right, be it, you know, if let's say you're not born again, let's say you're your culture is Sutu, right? You will belong to that principality or that ruler or that power. And the reason why when you come across someone else of another culture is because those two things don't actually like each other, right? Because they are not in Christ Jesus. They are operating in the fallen kingdom. And if you guys want to check me out on that, um, go to Deuteronomy 32, chapter 8. I'm not going to quote it, but go to Deuteronomy 32, chapter 8. I'm sorry, 32, verse 8. In the, and use the ESV, the message, or the living Bible. You know, it talks about God taking Israel for himself and dividing the rest of the nations to the rest of the angels. Um, not necessarily angels, but the sons of God. You know, and then also, if you want to check me out even more, go to Psalms 82. I'm not going to go through it. Go to read Psalms 82 in the ESV. And there God actually... Sorry, the scripture actually describes God talking to these um, sons of God that he gave power to over the nations. And he's actually judging them and saying, you guys, I gave you all these nations. I gave you all these people, group, all these cultures to look after, but you didn't. You know, you, you basically turned them against me and you, you prospered the wicked and you prospered all the evil in the world, but you did not do what I told you to do. And he actually says, you guys will die just like the men you rule over will die. So the judgment has been handed down to these guys. And that's why we need to understand one of the reasons Christ came is because judgment has already been handed down to these guys. And unless you are in Christ, you are actually under the jurisdiction of these guys. These guys are extremely, these are not the, demo, the demons. You know, these are not your, you know, I, I, I like to look at it this way. These are like your Ivy League sort of guys. You know, they, they don't really, you know, participate in all the, the demon stuff, the, you know, the filth and the nonsense. They are mostly worried about the mind, shifting the, people, the people's minds. That's what they're mostly worried about. They're not, yes, they'll, 
they'll, they'll rejoice, you know, when people shoot, stab, kill each other. But I don't believe that that's necessarily their goal. Their goal is to try and keep people from gaining the knowledge of Jesus. And you'll see that their main wing, their main wing of propaganda is Hollywood. That is probably their biggest, biggest, biggest asset is Hollywood and shifting the minds of the people to away from Christ. And not in a, not in a blatant way, like, oh, we don't believe in God. No, little things, you know, like in Hollywood, there's a movie that I watched back in the day when I was still in the world. Uh, <coughs> you know, there's a movie that I watched back in the day. It was called Friends with Benefits. And these guys were, we all, we all of age, yeah? These guys were friends with benefits, literally. And they just did it as a casual thing. Like, hey, you know, we're friends and you give me, I give you. And you call me, I'll call you. As a very casual thing. And guess what I thought? I thought, oh, well, that's fine. You know what I mean? So they do it in a very... Yeah, subtle and fun way, you know, in the movies. And that's, that's why a movie, when you sit there, it's a big screen and it's dark. And the sound blasting all around you. It's actually very calculated, you know. There's people that actually sit there with PowerPoints and actually go through the stuff and how to actually do the stuff. But anyway, however, when you're in Christ, whether you're black or white, Zulu or Afrikaans, you will have love for one another. For example, there's an example that I want to give this other lady at work, Afrikaans lady. She didn't know I was Christian. I didn't know she was Christian. And we were just talking about what is she up to this holidays and stuff like that. And she, was, and she started going on about going on mission trips. And she started telling me, yeah, I went to India on a mission trip. You know, this, this, that, this, this, this. And she's like, dude, actually, you know what? I'm so sorry. I don't even know why I'm telling you this because I never speak about this stuff here at work. And I'm like, no, that's because I'm a Christian. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know, he could sense. He could, Yo, there's your brother. Tell him. You know what I mean? And she's like, oh, wow, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm like the Jesus freak of the office, man. She's like, me too. You know what I mean? So, you know, Afrikaans lady, we have zero in common in terms of physical stuff. But the Holy Spirit knew that there's a Christian, there's me, there's me. You know, and therefore you guys talk. It was literally just before the meeting. The meeting came and, yeah, now we're like, we're like brother and sister now. You know what I mean? Check up on each other and stuff. So, yeah. Anyway. So basically, there are two things that I want us to focus on that we must lay hold of, that Christ came um, to hold us for. There are two things that I want us to focus on. One of them that I believe that Christ wants us to lay hold of is a conformity into his image. Is conformity into his image. Now, guys, I'm not talking about people that receive Christ on a deathbed and then, then you know, they're in paradise with Jesus. I'm talking about us, <laughs> people that have received Christ and who are encouraged to go the long way. And I believe that we must be conformed into the image of Christ. Now in Matthew 11, verse um, 28 to 30, Matthew 11, verse 38, 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I believe that is one um, mark of the, 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 the Christian faith, is gentleness and humility. You know, in um, first, Peter, um, three, first Peter chapter 3, verse 4, here the Holy Spirit is actually talking about women, um, about wives respecting their husbands, and women just um, not, um, not, 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 not emphasizing the outward appearance. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's a very precious thing when the Lord sees a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, that does not mean that when it's time to rebuke or time to be harsh on people, that you won't be harsh. You will be, but you will be able to reprimand them in a very sort of like gentle way, you know. Because Jesus, at the end of the day, did reprimand the Pharisees. You know, he called them a brood of vipers and how you're going to escape and all that stuff. So I think those, those that try and twist this word, we should be extremely brutal with them. But those that don't know, you know, like maybe you're atheists and, you know, other people from other religions, we must um, talk to them very gently. So those, and then also in Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28 to 29, 
it says, and we know this is a world famous scripture, but everyone forgets to quote verse 29. Everyone stops at verse 28 because it works out for what? Their physical well-being. But 29 goes at what? Your spiritual well-being. And he says, and we know that for those who God love, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So it says in verse 29, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Sean and I always talk about, you know, predestination and Calvinism and all that stuff. And I always say, bro, there's only one place in scripture where I see the word predestination. And that's 829. And the only thing that has been predestined for you is to be conformed into the image of Christ. So if you look at your, your, your ticket and it says departure, Johannesburg, um, arrival, Cape Town. If you look at the heavenly one, it says departure, um, tour, our destination, Christ. Okay, cool. That is our destination. And for me, that has freed me from a lot of side activity. It has freed me from a lot of things that I wanted to become. It freed me from trying to be the best in my industry and trying to be, you know, the, 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 the best business analyst and trying to be the best this, this, this and that. All those, all those things are good. But what I was doing is that I was putting more priority on those things instead of putting priority on the fact that I have to become like Christ. You know, I have to be humble in heart and I have to be gentle. You know what I mean? I have to be full of righteousness. I have to have um, a faith in God like the, like the one Christ had. You know, and so I believe that that's one of the things that Jesus came, came for us for. So that we can become just like him. Because I believe that with the angels, the reason why the third of them rebelled is because they failed to become like their maker. They failed to see their maker as something um, to, to, to be grasped, something that you want to lay hold of. You know, and just, just to digress a bit, you know, when, when, when I got saved, I, 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 I couldn't believe that such a kingdom exists. You know, I, I couldn't believe that such a world existed. You know, um, like one of the things that hit me so hard was that, wow, there's no fear in this thing. Like, geez, like, like, literally, you know how I would do, like, at night, I would always wake up at around 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, every single day, religiously. I would wake up, go downstairs, and check if there's no, is there anyone breaking in or not. Every single, guys, when I say every single night, I did it from a kid, all, because they kept breaking in our house and stuff like that. But when we moved to Pretoria, they never broke in even once. For 10 years straight, I woke up every single night, and I went to go check okay, everything's still cool, and I'll go to sleep. And I lived in constant fear. When I got born again, I didn't even wake up once. <laughs> I didn't even, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, oh my word, that this stuff was here all along. But it's a realm. It's a realm. There's two realms. You know, and unless you access it, unless you prioritize the spiritual, you will, you will never experience it. If you prioritize the physical, you will never experience the benefits of the spiritual. And guys, this is not to say that your house will never get broken into. No. What I'm saying is that that fear won't be there. You know, for some of you, it might be, I don't know, driving. For some of you, it might be drowning. For so some of you, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, especially in this country that we live in, you know, we, we need to access that. And by the way, Jesus keeps on saying, do not be afraid. The angels kept saying, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Fear not. It's actually a commandment, you know. But, you know, yeah. That's, yeah. That's another message. Another thing that I believe Christ wants us to get a hold of is that we should become proclaimers and representatives of the kingdom slash government slash realm of God. Now, in Acts 1 verse 8, um, you don't have it there, Isha. I didn't put it up. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus talks about the, the coming of, of the Holy Spirit. And he says that, you know, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be what? You shall be given power to go and be my witness. You know, starting off in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, you know. And then 
when Jesus says that, I link it up with Mark 9 verse 1, where Jesus was speaking to the guys and he said, it's, it's not up there. Uh, he was saying that, you know, some people standing here will not die until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. You know, now, yes, other preachers have said that um, that's actually talking about the transfiguration, the next couple of lines. But, you know, guys, the Bible is an and thing. You know, it's not just this and that. There are a lot of things that you can take from the Bible. So I believe that he was talking about what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Because there, the kingdom of God came through the Holy Spirit in power. And those guys were filled with power. I believe that that's what he was talking about when he said that some people standing here will not die until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. And how do I know that? Because in Romans 14 um, verse 17, in Romans 14 verse 17, it says that for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we are currently in the kingdom of God because it's no longer repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, or repent for, for the kingdom of God is coming. Now it's repent because the kingdom of God is here. Because the Holy Spirit fell um, in, Acts, in, in the book of Acts. He fell in the book of Acts. And I believe that these are the, the, there are many other reasons that we should lay hold of Christ. But I believe that these are the two main ones. You know, proclaiming and becoming representatives of the kingdom of God. Now, this does not necessarily mean, in the beginning I talked about balance, is that we need to have a balance. This does not mean that you're going to be 100% preaching, and it does not mean that you're going to just be 100% living. Because some people say, no, it's the way you live, you'll attract people. And some people say, no, it's, 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 it's you know, through the foolishness of preaching, they'll be saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a balance. You know, preach while you live. You know what I mean? The devil, especially in the Christian world, he works on extremes. You know, he'll keep you from the power by making you live in the extremes. So we must try by all means necessary to walk in the middle of the road. Those white lines in the middle of the road, we must try to walk on them as much as possible. Because it's a narrow way. It's a narrow way. And I believe that the reason why we need to grasp hold of these things is because they will help us to become overcomers. These two main things will help us to become overcomers. You know, the, 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 the last words that Jesus gave actually in the Bible are found in Revelation where Jesus says you know repent you know and he who overcomes you know in all of them you know all the churches that he rebukes you know um, Sardis and all those others Laodicea he says repent and be, be an overcomer he who overcomes you know so I believe that overcoming is linked with repentance overcoming is linked with faith and in the old covenant um, the, 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 the blood that, that they used to sacrifice. You know, the Jews sacrificed a lot of blood and it had no appeal to spiritual realities because it was the blood of animals, blood of goats and stuff like that. So it really had no appeal to, to it couldn't cleanse your conscience because, I mean, a goat doesn't have a conscience, right? But God worked it out for them so that it could just be a temporary thing. And that's why they had to keep doing it over and over and over again, over and over again, every other whatever. They had to go and, and kill some stuff, right? Because a goat does not have a conscience like you have a conscience. A goat doesn't know, I'm not going to go there. You know, you know that you're not supposed to go there. Even if I'm not there to tell you not to go there, you already know because you have a conscience. And that's why if you look at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, this is what makes the blood of Christ, which is what we use to overcome. One of the three things that we use to overcome, the blood of Christ, the word of our testimony, and not loving our life unto death. So the blood of Christ in Leviticus 17 verse 11. Can I get it up there, bro? Um, Leviticus 17 verse 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So Jesus' blood, that's where his life was found. And that's why in the new covenant, like we did today, the, the, um, the juice and the bread representing the blood of Christ, is that the son of, that was actually the son of God's blood that was shed on that cross. Now if you're coming in, 
you know, outside of the kingdom and you're looking at it, at it you'll be like, well, what does a dead guy bloody on a cross have to do with anything? What does that have to do with my sin? You know, it doesn't make sense. That's why this thing is, is by revelation. But the reason, okay, I'm out of time. But the reason why, but the reason why that God, Jesus had to be sacrificed the way he was is because he lived with the pure and right conscience towards God and man. And that is something that's also actually commanded to us in the Bible. That it's, it, it says that we must um, have a good conscience towards God and man and try to live peaceably with every single person on earth. And also, um, the life of Jesus was always geared towards God. You know, he, if, if, if you look at Jesus' sign-off, um, when, when, when John the Baptist baptized him, um, Pastor Tracy always says that, is that he got a, he got a well done from, from his father before he did anything. You know, before he raised the dead. And that's a huge encouragement to us. Like, you know, a lot of us, we don't have the gifts Jesus had. You know what I mean? And it's a huge encouragement for us to know that, you know, the Lord is not looking for you to raise the dead and all that good stuff. He's going to give you a well done, my faithful servant, for just striving to have a clear conscience towards him. And this proves to me that the emphasis needs towards to be towards a clear conscience towards God and man. And that's how we were to live. I believe Jesus, you know, was, um, he might not have been the richest um, carpenter, but I believe he was, the, he was the most blessed carpenter because he might have made, you know, a cupboard or a chair for a widow for free, you know, just for the sake of being the most blessed guy. And maybe the kids would come around in his shop, you know, break stuff. And he'd probably like, ah, it's okay. You know what I mean? He didn't try and like, yeah, I'll tell your parents they must pay. You know what I mean? He lived a blessed life. And I believe that's what we should go for. And hence, that's why that very same blood is the blood that we need to cleanse our conscience so that we might become a blessing to other people. And then if you look at Revelation 12, verse 11, it talks about this overcoming power. It says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of testimony, and they did not love their life even unto death. So that's one of the things we spoke about in the beginning is that we shouldn't prioritize the physical. Let's prioritize the spiritual so that we will not la love our lives unto death. And then we need to overcome, I believe, for, for this purpose. This is what I believe. is so that we may rise in the first resurrection. I believe that the goal for us is to rise in the first resurrection. Guys, the Bible talks about there being a first resurrection. The Bible talks about Christ coming and ruling on earth for a thousand years. You know, it also talks about others rising in the second um, the, 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 the second resurrection. And I don't want to preach it. Let me rather read it. Because I don't want to, I want to do justice to it. Revelations 20, verse 1 to 6. Revelations 20, verse 1 to 6. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of all, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw them into, he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So guys, this actually talks about the dirty old earth that you know now. This is not the new earth and the new heaven. The new, the new earth and new heaven come after this come after this and then and then it says but then after this satan is released satan is actually released after this thousand year period and then guess what the world does they go into re rebellion again and i believe the reason why god releases um satan is to show the world that even if i am 
physically there ruling over you and you are not changed, you are not renewed, you don't have this blood to cleanse you, the minute temptation comes, you will back away from me. And I believe this, I don't know if you guys have seen this a show on DSTV, for those of you that still watch DSTV, there's a show called I Blew It, where these people receive like millions of rands as payouts. And these are very poor people, right? But I believe that that show speaks to me. I'm using that show as an analogy of why God releases Satan. Because what happens is that God gives extremely poor people millions of rands so that he can show them their true self. He gives them, this one lady, she received 13 million rand and she ended up poor just so that he can show them their true self. Because people always say, oh, but if I was in this situation, I'd be like this. If I had this, I'd be like this. And I believe that that show is actually a warning to us to say that, dude, even if I gave you a million bucks, you would, you would actually come out and show people who you really are. Because they always, they always speak good of them. That, yeah, he was such a helpful guy. He used to be this, this wonderful guy. And then as soon as they get the million bucks, these guys change. And I believe that that's actually an act of mercy. That's why they don't have the million rand all the way throughout their life. I think that God passes them an act of mercy to show them that they need help, that they need a savior, so that no one on the last day, so that no one on the last day will say, oh, no, I didn't know. I, I didn't know I was a bad person. No, I, I didn't know that I actually didn't like my mother. The only reason why you liked your mother is because she gave you a place to stay and food to eat. The minute you got a million bucks in your account, you turned on your mother. That's exactly what happens in that show. These guys turn on everyone. So I think it's an act of mercy that God shows these guys that, dude, you are actually black-hearted, bro. You think just because you're poor, you're holy. No, no, no. No, no, no. Just because you're poor doesn't, does not make you holy. <laughs> so, guys, so, guys, it shows that even when God rules over us in the physical form, when Jesus comes, if we are not regenerated, we will reject God. And therefore, guys, especially us, if you look at, if you look at the Bible, uh, the New Testament, whenever it talks about hell, it, Jesus is actually talking to believers. He's talking to his disciples, you know, because he, I feel like he doesn't need to talk to, to people that don't believe. He's talking about people that believe, that look, man, you are actually the one that's in danger because all this truth has been given to you. You are the one that's actually in danger. So we need to, to take hold of this stuff. And this goes to another reason as to in hell, hell won't be full of bad people. People think that hell will be full of bad people. But I believe 80% of hell will be good people because just like in the world, you see that not everyone is in prison. You know, in class, um, when we were in class, it was always like, I was part of them. So like one or two guys at the back who actually bring, cause all the chaos. It's never the majority that causes the chaos. It's only one or two guys that cause the chaos. So therefore, what's full in hell is good people because the reason why is that even though you're a good person, when Jesus shows up and you haven't been regenerated by him, you will not like him. You are an enemy of Christ just standing there. And you think you won't like him because what's going to happen in heaven, God is going to say, okay, guys, it's 9 o'clock, lights out. And then you're going to be like, no, I want to go to sleep. You see what I'm saying? You're a very good person. You did things for the poor. But as soon as God gives a command and says, okay, we sleep at 9 o'clock around here, you're like, yo, but I sleep at 11. And that's why, and that's why people get thrown into hell. You know, people don't get sent to hell. You know, some people say, oh, people choose to go to hell. No, nobody chooses to go to hell. You get thrown into hell because through foreknowledge, God knows that when it's time to go, when the angel Gabriel says, okay, guys, it's time to go worship or go sing for God, you're going to say, nah, I want to stay in and bed. You know, God knows that you are opposed to him. Therefore, you cannot live in the new earth and the new heaven. And I believe, guys, we should strive, and I'm closing now, we should strive to take hold of the first resurrection. The first resurrection are those people that did not worship the beast, the people that did not take the mark, the people that were beheaded. Now you might be thinking, ah, oh, but so I'm not living in the era of the beast and the mark and the antichrist. Remember, the Bible says that there have been many anti antichrists 
The spirit of Antichrist is already amongst us. So you might not be worshipping the actual human figure, the Antichrist, and you might not have the 666, but you have their spirit. So therefore, if we want to partake of that first resurrection, which will be on earth, this earth right now, and Jesus, the headquarters of the government will be in Jerusalem, and it says that Jesus will rule the nations with their iron, an iron fist, an iron hand, meaning that you and I are going to be, you know, it says then he saw thrones, you know, in, in, in the churches, in, in, the, in this letters to the churches in Revelation, you know, he says that, you know, uh, repent and he who overcomes will sit with me on, 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 on the throne, you know, and, and you will rule with me. I will give you the nations and you will rule over them. That is talking about the thousand year period where we, we will rise, those of us who died, we will rise if you meet the, the criteria, you will rise in the first resurrection to actually sit on a throne here on earth. So that, that's an encouragement, guys. That whatever job you're doing, do it well. If you're sweeping the streets, sweep them well. Because you're going to be sweeping the streets of Jerusalem one day. Right there with Jesus Christ is. You know what I mean? If you're a secretary, do it well. Because you're going to be overseeing secretaries in the, 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 the earth that is going to be in a thousand year reign. So that's my encouragement to us. Is that let us take hold of those things. You know, the, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, before he talks about um, in... in in, um, in, in, in Philippians 3.12, saying that, not that I've already obtained these things and have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold for which, I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. He says, guys, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. A lot of things are dragging us down, but we must respond to the upward call. And if you actually read in verse 11, the upward call is actually the resurrection. He's talking so that he may know, he may be conformed to his resurrection. So I pray that this, this message is blessed you guys and take it as a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement for us this year, that let's reach for those things that are heavenly blessings. You know, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, things that cannot be seen, things that cannot be touched. And God will take care of the rest so that we may rise in the first resurrection. I hope to see you guys in the first resurrection. Amen.